Lord, we just thank you for the time that we have today, Lord, that you've granted us the privilege of being here today as women. And we know how you look at us differently, Lord, because you've got a special place for women in your heart. We know that and we see it every day in your walk with us. And as we get here now, Lord, I just pray that we will be so prepared for the message that you want to share with us today, Lord. Help us to receive this message, Lord, on the place where we are at. And speak to us, Holy Spirit, teach us, I pray, in the mighty name of Jesus, whom we love. Amen. So you can all see today we're speaking about the foundation. I brought this as an example. It's my husband's foundation. It's pretty intimidating, I have to add, because if you look at it, it has been highlighted and scribbled, and there are so many notes. When I look at it, I get so distracted by all the notes, I don't even get to reading the message. So please don't be intimidated by this, but this is such an awesome example of what your Bible should look like when it really, really becomes a tool in your life. So this is my version, but then alongside my tech version, I've got a journal at home, and God does not give me scripture verses every day. But every now and again, a verse drops in my spirit in that holy place that you just know I need to write this down and then I would journal that so I also like reading and writing and I'm visual I need to see things I'm going to read a verse and then Kyle is going to show us the first video clip please Kyle Luke 6 verse 48 he is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid his foundation on the rock. When the flood came, the torrent crashed against that house, but it could not shake it because it was well built. The most important part of any structure or house is that invisible part. It's the part that's completely unseen because it is always below the ground level and that is the foundation. So I looked up the definition of foundation in the dictionary and I'll read it to you. The foundation is the lowest load-bearing part of a house and its primary purpose is to hold the house up. Without this part, the invisible part, our houses will sink. And I will let you know that it will sink at a very uneven rate. Certain parts will sink first, then the walls will begin to crack, and eventually it will crumble and the entire structure will collapse. So as you saw in this video, this house sort of kept itself together to a certain extent. It was moving, but it was breaking partly, and eventually that house did collapse. I found a wonderful quote by Thomas S. Morrison. It's more than a quote, it's actually not quite a book, but it's longer than just a quote. But I'm going to read it to you now. He says, mortality. In other words, that time that we spend here on earth. Mortality is a period of testing, a time to prove ourselves worthy to return to the presence of our heavenly Father. In order for us to be tested, we must face challenges and difficulties. These can break us, and the surface of our souls may crack and crumble. That is if our foundations of faith and our testimonies of truth are not deeply, 
deeply embedded within us. We can rely on the faith and the testimony of others only for so long. Eventually, we must have our own strong and deeply placed foundation, or we will be unable to withstand the storms of life which will come. So we heard testimonies this morning, we shared testimonies, and you know what, that is so great, especially if it's your first time being incorporated into a church family. As a new believer, testimonies is what grab hold of our spirit, and that's what strengthen us, and the testimonies of others can carry us, but then there comes a time where we can no longer rely on listening to the testimonies of others, but we need to start working on our own, and we're going to give you all the tools of how to do that just now. So a building, we clearly saw, is only as good as its foundation. Because a good foundation is the only thing that will hold a house up during even earthquakes and floods if that foundation was properly built. A woman is only as good as the foundation that her life is built upon. Therefore, it is of utmost, utmost importance for us to invest, to build a deep, deep foundation so that we can remain steadfast and strongly rooted in our faith when the storms of life hit us. Therefore, oh, by law, once a foundation has been laid, you saw the earlier picture that Kyle had on the screen, once that foundation is laid, a builder is not allowed by law to lay even the first brick until an inspector has been out to secure, to make sure that that foundation is secure, or even an engineer to do a proper, proper inspection. And only after they say, yes, the foundation is secure enough, then they can go ahead and they can start laying the bricks. So Kyle, will you show us the second video, please? So you'll notice that that reporter said to them, he asked them three questions, but the two most important questions he asked him, he said to them, why did your house survive? What made your house different to the others? Why was your house still standing? If you looked at that video also, you could see their house clearly. And the house behind it also survived because it was protected. It was being supported, actually, by the strong house in front of it. So pilings is the American term for what we would call foundations. So he said... 40-foot pilings, they settled on 50-foot pilings eventually, and steel reinforcement running from the pilings through the roof of the house, and it was anchored to those little parapets that they showed quite a few times. So that's how reinforced the foundation of that house was. Now, I don't know how high 50-foot pilings are, but I can imagine it's almost the height of the house that stuck out above the ground. I don't know. But that's very, very deep, I can tell you. So foundation is what helped this house to survive. And the good news is that God has given us the instructions to do that too. Because in this beautiful, beautiful book, the Bible, it tells us exactly how we can build our spiritual foundation so that we can become strong enough to withstand storms like that, the one we've just seen. 2 Timothy 3 verse 16, we know that. I'm going to read it again. All scripture is God-breathed 
and it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It says here, thoroughly equipped, not partly. So I went to the dictionary again, and I looked up the word thoroughly. Thoroughly means exhaustively, meticulously, and completely, including every detail with nothing left out. So I'm going to read that part again of the scripture. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly, exhaustively, meticulously, and completely, including every detail with nothing left out, equipped for every good work. So this verse tells us and assures us as Christian women that we need nothing, nothing more than the truth and the wisdom and the encouragement that we find in the Bible to help us to navigate, navigate this journey on earth. So there are five things that a foundation provides for our structure, and Carl will very kindly put that up for us. Thank you, Carl. A second um, point I just remembered, the reporter also asked the two gentlemen, what did it cost you? And then they went into the monetary value of the money they had to spend to secure their house the way they did. So to most things in life, there's always a cost. But you know what? The beauty is that there's no monetary value that we can give to investing in our foundation through God's word because this will not cost us any money. This will simply cost us time. And you may start off noticing the time, but I can promise you, you will get to a point and take my word for it. Come back to me if you want to disagree. Over time, time will not be important anymore. When you start to journey through this wonderful book, Time will just, you will lose time. Um, yeah, it's easy. So the five things that a foundation provides for a structure is, it supports our house. I'm going to read the five little structures quickly and then Carl will put them up one by one. A foundation in the physical, when we build a physical house out of bricks and stone, that foundation has to be strong enough to support the house. It has to enable the house to resist movement and to remain standing still and strong during storms. It has to help with insulating the house. It keeps moisture out of the house and it prevents insect infiltration. And those are the five points we're looking at today. So the foundation supports the house and it helps, it helps the house to hold up its weight. So if a foundation is properly set, it will hold up and support the entire structure of your house, walls, roof, chimney and all. Knowing the word of God is what helps us to carry the weight of this life. It's what helps us to not only support ourselves, but only to also to be able to support our loved ones and the people in our families as wives, mothers, daughters, 
aunts, nieces, cousins. We are to be and we should become the spiritual foundation within our family. And if we know the word and we can continuously speak scripture over the lives of our family members, and if they can see us speak scripture into situations, we will become that foundational support. And they will come to us for encouragement and for guidance because they will see the fruit of that. So I was driving with Tag in the car not too long ago. He's 20 years old. And we were just talking about some random su subject. And suddenly I said something, but I paraphrased scripture. And Tag turned to me and said, I like that. And I looked at him in shock. And I'm like, what did I say? What did I say? You know, when your 20-year-old likes something you've said. And um, I said to him, oh, that's actually in the Bible because it was a scripture, but I paraphrased, so it didn't really sound like the Bible. And he said, I like it, and I can't remember what it was. I wish I could, but I want to say to you, you don't have to go and bash your family members with the Bible over the head every time you see them. Take some scriptures that apply, paraphrase them, and just keep speaking them. And when they like what you say, and you can go like, actually, it's in the Bible. Like a cool mom. So I have got scriptures here, and there are so, so many, but I just picked a few as examples of how scripture can support us to keep our structure standing strong. Isaiah 41 verse 10, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Psalm 16, verse 5, this is the Amplified. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance, my cup. He is all I need. You support my lot. Psalm 37, verse 17b, also Amplified. But the Lord upholds and sustains the righteous who seek him. Second thing that our foundation provides for our home Our foundation helps our house to resist movement. So natural forces are always at work. Temperatures fluctuate. Moisture rival, levels rise and fall. We've just seen it in KZN with the floods. Tectonic plates move. A solid, sturdy foundation will, will prevent your house from not moving when the ground underneath it changes. So studying the word is what enables us to resist movement when the storms of life come. When a sudden change in circumstances cause that shaking in our lives that Julia was talking about. We will not be shaken. We will be able to stand strong, unmovable because of our foundation. And the scripture that I have for that is Psalm 55 verse 22. Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. Psalm 16, verse 8, I keep my eyes on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Psalm 62, verse 1, Truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Truly he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress I will not 
be shaken. The third thing a foundation does for a house is it insulates the home. It offers insulating properties to keep the house comfortable and to keep it either warm or cool depending on the season. Scripture insulates us. Scripture forms a protective barrier between us and the world. It envelopes us like a warm blanket and it makes us feel comfortable because we know who we are in Jesus when we know scripture. When the world outside gives us the cold shoulder, we will find warmth in the word of God. And when the world outside heats up, and it often does, does it not? We remain cool because we stand on the promises of God. No matter what happens in our lives, we will always, always, always be able to find a scripture or a verse that will bring comfort, peace, and warmth to our souls. I've got Psalm 119, verse 49 to 52 as an example. Remember your word to your servant, for you have given me hope. My comfort in my suffering is this. Your promises preserve my life. The arrogant mock me unmercifully, but I do not turn from your law. I remember, Lord, your ancient laws, and I find comfort in them. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. The fourth thing our foundation does for us is to keep moisture out of our house. So, so many factors can damage a house and we've seen examples here. Hurricanes, tornadoes, um, windstorms, earthquakes, tsunamis, fire, big things can damage our house. And most of them, we can see them coming. And we often have weather warnings. I see these days we even get snow warnings in sunny South Africa. But we can be prepared. And we have friends in Canada who regularly during tornado season have to board up certain windows of their house. They keep a constant supply of essentials including a caravan toilet in their basement, because that's where they will go for protection during a tornado. So the basement is below ground level, the closest part to the foundation of the house, and that's where they will find safety during a tornado. But for us, the danger lies in the elements that are mostly unseen. For that, I'm going to use moisture. Moisture is a perfect example. Constant, Penetrating moisture can be a nagging factor that compromises and weakens the structure of our home. I'm sure I'm not the only one who has had to deal with moisture in walls. I'm sure many of you have seen the devastating effects of moisture. And you fix the wall and next season it's back because it doesn't really come from there, but it comes from the foundation. It seeps up through those walls. 
when water continuously collects around our homes, the soil becomes saturated, it expands, it puts pressure on the foundation, and it then causes dampness to rise through the concrete into the walls. Therefore, damp proofing our foundation is essential. Have you seen how they damp proof foundations? They've got strong, strong, strong plastic sheets that they put straight tight up against it to prevent the moisture from coming through. So we have to damp proof our foundations because if we can keep the moisture from coming through the foundation into the walls, we will prevent structural damage to our house. We will not have brittle walls, bubbling plaster, peeling paint and toxic mold in our homes. Moisture is also a dangerous thing because you often only see the effects of it once the damage had been done and then it can be a very costly thing to repair. Moisture I'm going to compare to the things of the world or sin. Those little things that slowly seep into our lives and comfortably settles, almost unseen as they have always been there. Those small little compromises we make the white lies we tell, the wrong friends that we mix with, the friends that we should be converting, but over time they actually convert us, and before long, the world looks at us and there's no difference between us and them anymore. Because so, so slowly that moisture had seeped in and settled that we don't even realize that we're behaving differently and that we're behaving in a way that we should not be behaving. Those little sins that we so easily overlook, um, those little sins that we are so quick to justify. We live in South Africa. Hey, we all pay the bribe. Is it not just the way it's done? Um, and also, so-and-so have been committing far bigger sins and over a much longer period of time. And God will have grace for mine because God understands. He knows my heart. So when you leave the restaurant and you look at your till slip and you realize you didn't pay for that last bottle of sparkling water and you go, the service was so shocking anyway. But they, won't, they won't even notice it. And I won't go back now with that bad service. They're going to keep me here for half an hour. That was me. And then you just walk away. Or you unpack your Christmas shopping with a baby on your hip at your car on the roof of Eastgate. And there's a can of nuts that your child had stolen while you were shopping and no one saw it. And you go, God wanted us to have an extra can of nuts under the tree this year. I cannot go back, baby and all. We'll just take the nuts and go home. That was me. But, and this is so interesting, and I've discovered over the years that our sense of sin is directly in proportion to our closeness to God. I'm going to say that again. The way in which we see and perceive sin is directly in proportion with how closely we are walking with God. So yes, um, I am so convicted now. In fact, I almost make sure that I haven't got things that I didn't pay for. Because in my walk and getting closer to this God that is a holy, holy God, how can I not also want to become holy? 
and, and it sort of rubs off on you, you know? You spend time with the right people, the right things rub off on you. You walk closer to God, and you become holier in that walk. And suddenly these little things convict you. Um, and you know when they arrest 20-year-olds for car theft, and they say, it, it started with stealing the chocolate in the shop when I was 10. Um, so we need to be so aware of those little sins when they seep into our lives because only reading scripture regularly and making those deposits into our hearts is the only, only, only thing that will make us so alert and aware when these little sins are trying to seep into our foundations to weaken us. For examples, I've got Hebrews 4 verse 12. God's word is alive and working, and it is sharper than a double-edged sword. It cuts all the way into us where the soul and the spirit are joined, to the center of our joints and bones, and it judges the thoughts and the feelings in our heart. God's word is alive, but it is also a scalpel. So as we read it, we need to allow for it to do work in our hearts. Someone said, and I love it, I don't know who said it, because the Bible is alive and active, when we read our Bibles, our Bibles read us. Have you heard that one before? Do you know who said it? No, <laughs> <laughs> no it wasn't me. When we read this beautiful, wonderful, mysterious book, this book reads us. And the scalpel does surgery on our hearts, and we become better people. We also, and this is so exciting, we have our helper, the Holy Spirit, who reads with us, who leads us through Scripture, who teaches us. Because you see, you can read the Word, and you can become knowledgeable, and you can know everything it says, and you can quote Scripture verses if you have a memory better than mine, but... The mysteries within the pages of this treasure, it's like, to me it's like a treasure, and there are so many mysteries to be ex um, discovered that really excites me. But you will only, only, only ever discover the mysteries hidden within these pages if you read it in relationship with the Holy Spirit, because that is when it will be revealed to you. That is when it switches over from just knowing to really knowing that you know, that you know, and that you are living it, and that you are experiencing it every day. So our only protection against sin is to build our foundation on the Word of God and to bring, prevent those things from the world from seeping into our lives. And for examples, I've got Psalm 119, verse 11 and 18. I have stored up your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. And that is how we protect ourselves. We store his word in our hearts. So I've stored up my word in your heart that I might not sin against you. And then verse 18 says, open my eyes to see the miracles in your teachings. And that should be a prayer before we even open up our Bible every single time, Lord, Show me the miracles in your teachings and open my eyes. Dwight L. Moody said, either the Bible will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from the Bible. 
Moody also said, and I love this one, I know that the word inspires me. No, he said, sorry, let me read it and not try and remember it. I know that the word is inspired because it inspires me. Examples, Romans 12, verse 1 to 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will for you. James 4, verse 4b and 5, you should know that loving the world is the same thing as hating God. Anyone who wants to be a friend of the world becomes God's enemy. The spirit that God made to live in us wants us for himself alone. The fifth thing that a foundation does for a physical, structural brick and mortar house is it prevents insect infiltration because a strong and contained foundation will prevent all those little critters and bugs and creepy crawlies and the things we all just so love from coming into our house. I'm going to compare these bugs and critters to the devil and his agents. The spiritual discipline of reading scripture is the only thing that will keep the enemy out of our house. I'm sure you've many heard, many of you have heard that saying that goes, the Bible is not scared of the, uh, the devil is not scared of the Bible lying next to your bed, but he starts to tremble once you pick it up, read it, and start applying it to your life. Let's just think about it. How long have you been saved? One year? Five? Maybe 10, 20, 30, 40, 50? Think about this. The devil has been around. He has the advantage of thousands of years of practice. He knows every single trick. He built the snares. He knows the shortcut. He even knows our history, and therefore he knows our weaknesses. He knows exactly where each and every one of us have been broken before, and where we've taken the polyfill and filled up those cracks. And that's where the devil will come, and that's where he will attack us. He knows, he knows how to get to us, and his sole purpose is to infiltrate and destroy the homes of God's children. He's relentless. And if that fails, then he loves to get us to focus on our weaknesses and our fears, because you see, the devil rules by fear. God requires faith. Faith. God rules by faith, but the devil rules by fear. And he loves to get us to focus on our fears. Fear dominates this world. The New York Times did a survey, and they have a column, Dear Abby. I'm sure you've all heard the Dear Abby column. And they just said, when you look at the questions in general that people send you, what is the most commonly asked question? And she said, I cannot tell you that, but what I can tell you is that, well, I think it's a she, it could be a he. All questions are based on fear. People are so fearful. 
and fear because it dominates the world out there and that is where we live, then if we allow it, those fears will control us. God requires faith and this word is the only thing that will help us not to be swayed by the fears of the world. If we are strongly, strongly rooted, we will not sway. Right now it's the monkey fever. Pox. It's still the war. Julia's my soundboard. It's still the pandemic, <laughs> Julia. What did we have before that? <laughs> I don't even know, but we know there's always something happening out there. We cannot spend hours every day being consumed by the fear of the world and then do a quick five-minute devotional and expect for things to change. It's not going to happen. So I am going to share my fear with you. I'm not, I think most people, especially the unsaved, fear dying. That's what I think. I don't fear dying. Honestly, to be absent from the body will be to be with Christ. I don't, and I can honestly stand here and say, thank you, Lord, that's not my fear. My biggest fear is the safety of my children. And as an example, I've prepared all of this. I wrote all these little beautiful things on fear when you're scared you go to scripture. And then on Sunday morning, I speak to Tag briefly at half past seven. He's my 20 year old and I'm still pretty involved. Well, he doesn't want me to be, but, and I try not to be, but you know I am. So at half past seven, I had a message from him. We had arrangements to cancel and we did. And then at 11 o'clock, I sent him a message to say, we sent you data, let me know if you don't get it. And my kids are really good. When I phone them and they miss the call, they phone back. If I send a message, they will respond eventually. And I didn't worry at all, but a colleague of my husband got hijacked in Edenvale two weeks ago, and it was really horrific. And on Sunday morning, we're driving past the new drive-through in Edenville, and Alistair says the exact same thing happened. And it was always on a Sunday, on Sunday to a little 18-year-old boy. And my heart broke for the parents and for that little 18-year-old boy because I've still got a little boy. And um, we get home, and I send tag the message. And two and a half hours later, I just pick up my phone, and I see he hadn't read it yet. So I th don't think anything of it. And another two hours go by, and it's half past four. And I think, he still hasn't read his message. What 20-year-old does not pick up his phone in four and a half hours? So five hours have now gone by. I phone him, voicemail. And now it's Sunday. So I sneak down to the basement when Alistair's not looking, because they all tell me I'm paranoid. So I sneak down to the basement, because Tag lives on his own, but the same building, and I look, and his car's not there. Now, if his car was there, I would have been, oh, cool. He's sleeping. Teenagers sleep at odd hours of the day. His car's not there. So now I'm more than concerned. I'm a bit worried. So I phone him again, voicemail. So now I start this journey of phoning him every half an hour, and the fear within me is just growing and growing. And it's six hours later. He still hasn't picked up his phone. The SMS is not going through and um, his car's not there, and I just get voicemail. Six hours, and a 20-year-old has not responded to his mom's message. So now I'm starting to break down, and I think, 
Fear is, has taken control of you. You've just written a lovely message here to tell women it's so easy. You speak scripture, but what are you doing? You're falling apart here. So I start speaking the scripture that I always speak over my family. Do not confess negative thoughts in your mind, but speak life into every situation. So I go and I do all the ironing because I can't sit down. I can't focus. I can do nothing. I'm ironing. I finish all the ironing. I still can't get hold of tag. And I start walking through the house onto the patio, back into the house, walking, repeating the same thing. Do not confess negative thoughts in your mind, but speak life into every situation. And I speak life over tag, the blood of Jesus over tag, protection over tag. Um, continuously, continuously, and it helps me, it helps me to support myself, and I go and sit on the chair eventually, and I look at my hands, they're sweating, and I feel how they become paralyzed, and suddenly I understand being paralyzed with fear, paralyzed with fear, like my arms are lying there, I can just see the sweat, I can't even move them, I'm literally falling apart, and my husband's having a nap, but if I tell him, you know, men want to fix everything, and then he'll get upset, so now I don't, I hide it from him. And then at that, and I sit there and I think, now I'm thinking the worst. And I think, how did Mary feel when she looked at that cross with her child's broken body? How did she feel? And suddenly I just felt the kind of empathy that you think you understand, but you don't really feel it when you look at someone who has had a child taken from them or a child that suffered. And in that moment, really, really, God just made me feel how that must feel for a mother, because it could be the worst thing, I think, that can happen to you. And I just experienced it with my paralyzed arms lying there in the chair. And then Alistair got up and said, where are you? And I managed to go, I'm in the lounge. He's like, where are you? Lounge. And I knew he was coming through, but this is how good God is because he knows how Alistair handles things. And then my phone rang and tags like, mom, what's wrong with you? So I'm like, it's all fine. It's good. I was just worried, but it's all good. It's all good. I'll talk to you tomorrow. So I did speak to him to the, the next day and I, um, I said, tag, you need to reactivate that app on your phone so I can see where you are. And he said, Mom, I'm going to tell you now I'm not going to do it. And you know why? Because then you're going to look at that app all the time. And you're going to place your faith in an app. And right now, you, are, you think you must protect me. And this app must protect me. When God is the one who's protecting me. What's wrong with you? You need to get over it. And you need to start practicing what you are preaching. Yes. So ladies, I'm telling you this to say to you, I know it's easy to say, speak scripture. And you know what? In that moment, scripture helped me. It did not solve the problem. God did not come and make my child phone me after five minutes. It was closer to seven hours. But I can tell you, during that time, this is what scripture did for me. It supported me and helped me to hold myself together. It supported me. It resisted me from moving, maybe because I was paralyzed, but yes, I held on to that support. It gave me comfort. It insulated me. While I paced and spoke scripture, there was comfort in that. 
And it kept, it made me aware of how the enemy has seeped into my foundation and slowly, slowly settled there. And I think I'm all okay, but in those fine little cracks, there's moisture. And the enemy is attacking me full on, on the fear that he knows is my only and biggest fear. And he hit me so hard on Sunday, and I realize that so often we can stand here and say pretty things and, and try and give people tools. But we need to experience it ourselves as well to realize that, hey, maybe I look all okay and strong and you think I've got a really great foundation. But it's work that we do continuously every single day. Therefore, we don't read it once a week and then we relax for seven days. We can't just make work of it now and then put it on the back burner. This has got to become to you like the air that you breathe. It really has got to become the air that you breathe. And that's when it can hold you together. So I'm working on that one now. And I'm hoping to stand here and not too long and say, fear has no hold on me anymore. I just want to get back to that section. So God requires faith. His word keeps us supported, being able to carry our weight and to fight the fears that the enemy brings to us. Also, if we do not spend time in the word, we will not learn how to hear God's voice. And we can then so easily mistake the voice of our own fears or the voice of our own desires and think it's the voice of God. Because there's always that element, that human element. There's God and God speaking, but then there's the human element. So it's only when you really know that you know the God, the voice of God, when he speaks to you, when there's a confirmation and an affirmation of that word that you know it's not the enemy speaking and it's not my own voice that's speaking. Perfect example of this is the story of Peter and Jesus in Matthew 16 from about verse 20 to 22 when they were going into Jerusalem and Jesus was telling them that he was going to be tortured, that he was going to be suffer and that he was going to be killed. And Peter, loving Jesus, said he rebuked Jesus and said, it will not happen. God will not let this happen. And Jesus said to him, get behind me, Satan. Because in that moment, Peter, who knew Jesus intimately, who traveled with him, who walked with him, who ate with him, who slept near him, Peter mistook the voice of his own fear for the voice of God. He knew the voice of God better than you and me know the voice of God. And yet, in that moment, he heard only his own voice of fear. So how much harder do we have to work then to get to know God's voice, to not mistake it for the voice of our own fear? John 8 verse 32 says, you will know the truth and the truth alone will set you free. If you need strength in a particular area in your life, whether it's healing, whether it's these fears that I've just shared with you, whether it's relational, or finance, start a faith journey. Start a faith journey through this word. You don't need a visa. It's very easy. And take scriptures that relate to 
your particular issue and write them down, make a list of them, keep them on hand so that you can use them, so you can pull them out and throw them in Satan's face when he tries to attack you. You know, when Jesus was in the desert and Satan came to him, there are many accounts previously to that where the Pharisees tried to trick him with very crafty questions and his wise answers left them speechless every time. Yet, when he was exhausted and tired in the wilderness, and that's when Satan comes to you, when he was exhausted, hungry and tired, I should say. When we are exhausted and tired and worn out and on the edge, that's when Satan comes to us. When Satan came to Jesus to tempt him, he did not use clever theology. He did not even go into an argument. He simply spoke scripture again and again. A few short thrusts of that sword of the spirit and the devil was gone. And we have got that same power. We can do that too. We can throw scripture in his face. 1 John 4 verse 4, my dear children, you belong to God and have defeated him because God's spirit who is in you is greater than the devil who is in the world. James 4 verse 7a, so give yourselves completely to God, stand against the devil and the devil will run from you. Come near to God and God will come near to you. So the closer we are to God, the more difficult it will be for the devil to get to us. How do we come closer to God? By reading his word. How do we learn to hear the voice of God? By reading his word. And it's by learning to hear his voice that we discover the purpose that he has for our life. The word is so powerful. The entire universe came together by the spoken word. God just spoke it and it happened. My small mind can't even comprehend the wonder of that happening. And we read in 2 Timothy 3.16 that the word is breathed by God. So Psalm 33 verse 6 says, The sky was made at the Lord's command, which means he spoke it, by the breath from his mouth. He made all the stars. He gathered the water of the sea into a heap. He made the great ocean-stained place. All the earth should worship the Lord. The whole world should fear him. He spoke, and it happened. He commanded, and it appeared. So that same creative power is available to us when we read our Bibles and when we start applying it to our lives. We've got that same power can we even begin to fathom the power of the written word? Do we truly, truly understand the might that lies within the spoken word? One of my favorite Bible teachers, Derek Prince, said, never set a limit on what the word of God can do for you. Never set a limit, because as humans we set limits. There's no limit. No limit to what the Word of God can do for you in your life. And another of my favorite sayings, believed to have been said by Martin Luther, is, the Bible is alive, it speaks to me. It has legs, it runs after me. It has hands, it grabs hold of me. So just to recap, without the right spiritual foundation, our spiritual homes will not last long.
We stormproof ourselves in this life so that we do not wash away like that first little house did. We stormproof ourselves by regularly depositing scripture into our hearts, by memorizing verses. And during a crisis or a storm, then we can withdraw from a lifetime of deposits that we have made. Charles Spurgeon was so inspired by John Bunyan. John Bunyan was the man who wrote The Pilgrim's Progress. Some of us will still remember that. That he said of Bunyan, the man knew the word so well when he got cut, he bled scripture. So, you know, I asked myself when I wrote this down, Sonia, can you truly say that when you get cut, you bleed scripture? And I think that's what you have to ask yourself today. Are you so saturated with the word that when the world cuts you, you bleed scripture? And maybe that's the challenge we need to leave with today. Be inspired by this word because it inspires us. Study it and make it a passion to become so saturated with this word that when you get cut, you know you will bleed scripture. And I'm going to leave you with the blessing of Psalm 121.8, and that's what I pray over my family every single day. The Lord will watch over your comings and your goings now and forevermore.